You're listening to This Tangled Skein, a yarn wrangling Sherlockian podcast. Or is that a Sherlockian yarn wrangling podcast? This is episode one for December 27th, 2015. Compliments of the season. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas with the intention of wishing him the compliments of the season. Those are, of course, the opening words of The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle, originally published in the Strand magazine in January of 1892. The copy that I'm reading from today is a small, bound, single story put out by Scout Books a few years ago and illustrated by Ethan Rilly. And the illustrations are these cute little black-and-white cartoony-style images. It's a great little pocket-sized copy, perfect for carrying around with me at Christmas time. Since this episode will be posted two days after Christmas in 2015, I'd like to wish you as well a hearty compliments of the season. I'd also like to welcome you to the very first episode of This Tangled Skein, a monthly podcast about knitting, spinning, and Sherlockiana, and also tea. Show notes can be found at thistangledskein.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Ravelry as Plexippa. That's P as in Porlock, L-E-X-I-P-P-A. Since this episode is an introduction to the podcast, I should probably introduce myself. My name is Beth. I am, in no particular order, a librarian, a knitter, a spinner, a reader, a writer, a Sherlockian, a Watsonian, a transplant from the Midwest to Southern California, and also a drinker of tea. Let's start off with that tea. Today I'm drinking a signature blend from Adagio called Compliments of the Season and blended by yours truly, so no wonder that it's a perfect match. It's a combination of Lapsang Souchong, Chocolate Chai, and Hazelnut. The Lapsang smokiness is very, very strong in this tea. Then you get the spices and the hazelnut, but I don't really taste the chocolate at all. It's definitely a tea for Lapsang fans. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who would like to try it. This is the first time that I've tried to create a tea blend. I'm very new at it, so if you do try it and leave a review for me on Adagio, please be kind. I have been playing with yarn a lot longer than I've been trying to blend tea. I've been playing with yarn for most of my life, really. My grandmother taught me to crochet when I was very little, but these days I can't really do much of that beyond a chain and a single crochet. But I have started working on the Learn to Crochet Afghan from the book Crochet Your Way by Gloria Tracy and Susan Levin, which I have had in my personal library for an embarrassingly long time before actually starting the afghan. I'm making it from Knitpick's Wool of the Andes Superwash in shades of blue and gray. I started it on New Year's Day with the idea that I was going to work on it over the course of the year and finish by December 31st, so it would be my 2015 big project. I've completed exactly one block, and I'm not very happy with the way it turned out. I think I need to go down a hook size and start over. So it's definitely not going to be anywhere near done by December 31st, maybe in 2016. Knitting, on the other hand, is my usual yarn wrangling pastime. My Ravelry page shows 11 current knitting works in progress, although most of those have been in hibernation for the better part of a year. I am nearly done with the Spiral Stars Cowl by Diane Augustum, made of Dream and Color Smooshy with Cashmere and about 750 little glass beads. This is a bit of deadline knitting because it's for a swap package that's due to mail out in early January. The swap is arranged through the 221B group on Ravelry. 
This group is fabulous. It's full of very clever and creative people who like both Sherlock Holmes and playing with yarn. I met all three of my roommates for the past 221B con through the group. It is mainly focused on the BBC Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, and let's not forget the fantastic Rupert Graves as the very best Lestrade. This brings me to how I became a Sherlockian. While I've been a knitter for more than 10 years now, and couldn't pin down the date that I started knitting for you if I tried, I can definitely date my fall down the Sherlockian rabbit hole pretty precisely. June 2nd, 2013. There were a few false starts along the way. When I was little, I had a copy of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, adapted by Malvina G. Vogel and published as part of the Moby Illustrated Classics series. The Moby Illustrated Classics were these thick little squarish books with illustrations on just about every other page, if memory serves, and they were published in the 80s. Mostly what I remember from that is reading The Speckled Band and not really understanding what the function of a bell pull actually was for several years afterward. I did love Disney's Great Mouse Detective, but oddly I never came across the book Basil of Baker Street until I was an adult. So neither of these early meetings with the detective and the doctor really took. So when I first heard about the BBC show through the Knit One Geek 2 podcast, it didn't quite catch my attention, but it seemed I kept hearing good things about it, and I put it in my Netflix queue. And then came the 2nd of June, 2013, the night of the Game of Thrones episode usually referred to as the Red Wedding. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but my wife does. I would often be in the room while she watched, reading or knitting or playing on my computer or something. But that night, I had seen enough on my Twitter feed about the episode that by the time it actually aired on the West Coast, three hours after it aired on the East Coast, I knew that I did not even want to hear dialogue or any other sounds coming from the TV. So I put in my earbuds and started watching A Study in Pink on my laptop. And then I proceeded to binge watch what were then the six aired episodes over the next few days. When I finished watching Reichenbach Fall, I went back and started Study in Pink all over again. At some point, I saw a clip of an interview with Mark Gatiss, and his sheer fanboy enthusiasm about the stories was the push that I needed to finally go back and read Conan Doyle. This was... The time of the hiatus, between season two and season three, when the fandom was buzzing with speculation about what would come next. A lot of people were turning to the original stories to unravel clues, like Rat, Wedding, and Bow, that Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss had shared. Through Ravelry and other sites, I found my way into the larger Sherlockian, or Holmesian if you prefer, fandom, and I thought, yep, this is it. These are my people. Sometimes I refer to myself as a Watsonian rather than a Sherlockian. I'm a member of the John H. Watson Society, a great group founded in April of 2013, though I didn't learn about it until the next year. I also maintain the website for them, which can be found at johnhwatsonsociety.com. The Watson Society publishes a journal called The Watsonian in the spring and in the fall, a series of monographs, and a fiction series. The second volume of that fiction series just came out, it's a mystery set at Christmas time called The Limehouse Lucifer by Laura Tompkins. I'll give you a little taste with the beginning paragraphs. It was on the 23rd December in the year 1895 when my good friend Sherlock Holmes uttered a sentence that rather surprised me from the brown study into which I had fallen a little earlier that evening. So, you ask me for a tale of ghouls and spirits and unearthly horrors to see you through the long winter night. Did I? 
I asked, glancing up from my newspaper to look at the man sitting opposite me, knees brought up to his chin and eyes alarmingly bright, a man who had previously told me that no ghosts need apply to our little agency. I recall asking for a cup of tea. I absolutely love the tone of this story. It's such a great blend of humor and mystery all through the narrative. Dr. Watson's voice is so perfectly admiring of Holmes and yet wry in his own right. The story is definitely a murder mystery taking place in the area of London known as Limehouse. Members of the John H. Watson Society received the 31-page book along with the fall issue of the Watsonian, but it is available by itself through the Watson Society shop. The link, of course, will be in the show notes. I read a lot of Sherlockian pastiches and adaptations for children and young adults. I've been a youth services librarian since finishing library school about 13 years ago, so those are a natural fit. Really, part of my reader's advisory responsibilities, right? I recently finished an annotated bibliography for Chris Redman's Sherlockian.net, which is now posted at www.sherlockian.net slash books slash children dot html. Well, I say finished, but such a list is never really done, since the books, happily for me, keep coming out. I also just finished reading Angela Misery's Jewel of the Thames, the first book in her young adult series about a girl named Portia Adams. The series is set in the 1930s. As the first book begins, Portia Adams is a 19-year-old Canadian girl whose mother has just died. Her father has been deceased since she was very young, and her stepfather is, let's say, not a nice fellow. He's not somebody that she particularly wants to maintain any sort of contact with. Her mother's will, surprisingly, names a woman called Mrs. Jones as her guardian, since she's still under 21. All she really knows about Mrs. Jones is that the lady is wealthy. She doesn't really give any other information about herself. She whisks Portia off to London, and Portia learns that she has just inherited 221 Baker Street. She settles in, begins school, gets to know a nice young man downstairs, and quickly gets involved in solving some mysteries and puzzles, including that of her own family's true background. The sequel, Thrice Burned, came out this past March, and the third volume, no matter how improbable, is due to be published in March of 2016. I love Portia. She's clever, resourceful, and more than a match for any gentleman detective. But she's not a perfect person. She definitely has her weaknesses, which make her feel realistic. Next on deck for me is Amanda Lester and the Pink Sugar Conspiracy by Paula Berenstain. It's the first book in her middle grade series about a 12-year-old descendant of Inspector Lestrade, who has absolutely no interest whatsoever in detection. Too bad her parents have decided to send her to a secret school in England for the descendants of famous detectives anyway. It was published in May of 2015, followed by Amanda Lester and the Orange Crystal Crisis in September, and Amanda Lester and the Purple Rainbow Puzzle in November. But I first heard about the book through the comments section of a post at I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere sometime in September, so I was a little late coming to it. The next book I'm planning to read after that will probably be Nicholas Meyer's 7% Solution, because I want to read that before diving into the new Baker Street Journal Christmas Annual, and I haven't read it yet. It's also going to be my first book for Book Riot's Read Harder Challenge for 2016. I dearly love a reading challenge, although I don't think I've ever successfully completed one. Hmm. This one has a list of 24 tasks, including read a horror novel, read a book out loud to someone else, and read the first book in a series by a person of color. 
Some of them look like they'll be pretty easy for me, like read a middle grade novel and read a book of historical fiction set before 1900. Those practically take care of themselves, given my usual reading habits. 7% solution qualifies for number 8. Read a book first published in the decade you were born. Well, it does for me, anyway. While I'm reading in the early days of the new year, some of you folks will be gathering in New York January 13th through 17th for the BSI weekend. It looks like a lot of fun, and I do hope to go one day. But I have to admit, leaving Southern California for New York in January is not the most enticing prospect. I will, though, be watching with many of you, I'm sure, The Abominable Bride on New Year's Day on my local PBS station. There will be a tweet-along for both the East Coast and the West Coast showings, so I hope that I will see you there. I also hope that I will be able to meet some of you at 221BCon in Atlanta this April. If you catch me there, be sure to ask me for one of the Watsonian badge ribbons that I will have with me. In the meantime, until next month's episode, I bid you goodbye. You've been listening to This Tangled Skein, a yarn-wrangling Sherlockian podcast. Or is that a Sherlockian yarn-wrangling podcast? Show notes are at thistangledskein.com, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Ravelry as Plexippa. That's P as in Porlock, L-E-X-I-P-P-A also find my personal blog at 